there is a word from the Lord that can be found in the 16th chapter of Matthew, beginning with verse 13, concluding at verse 20. text reads as such in Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 through 20. Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I the son of man am? They said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, <clears throat> some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jones, Bar for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they shall tell, or they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. It is the word of God. You may be seated even in the very presence of the living God. I wanna I wanna just take a moment and highlight this particular passage that Jesus says. Or that Simon says, first of all, in verse 16, And Simon, Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered in that 17th verse and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon bar For flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then in the 18th verse, this is said, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to preach for just a few moments, and it will be a few moments this in short. Preach for just a few moments on this subject, crash landing at the church. Crash landing at the church. On the heels of 66 years, being established as a prominent and relevant church in the, in the city of Philadelphia. We have celebrated last year, last week rather, celebrated our 66 years, and I think that that space of celebration ought not last just for a Sunday, that as we celebrate uh, the life and legacy of the church, that there should be an overcast of celebration joyous celebration that has been set into movement in the church and even at large in the city. So I'm going to preach under that notion, crash landing 
church. On Tuesday, possibly a week or so ago, January the 11th, a medical helicopter began its journey with four passengers. There was contained in the, in the helicopter four passengers. There was an infant and three adults. They were heading from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, and on their way to make their way to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. It was several miles outside of Philadelphia when the helicopter experienced some trouble flying over Route 1. Thinking quickly, the pilot looked for an area, in my estimation, where he could perform a safe crash landing. Now, I'm I am fully aware, uh, Sister Kim Perkins, I'm, I'm fully aware of how oxymoronic that sounds. A safe crash landing. But the reality is, it not only sounds oxymoronic to those who have not been in a crash. Because the few accidents that I have had in my life and that I've been in, that I've been at the helm of the driver steering wheel, uh, those accidents that I've been in within the crash, I've always tried to maneuver safely inside of the crash. That's a word for someone today that if you crash, if, if you've messed up, if, if, if you've had some difficult times in your life, you better make sure that you have a pilot on board with you who can land your helicopter of mistakes or malfunction, whatever you want to call it, so that you crash safely. The pilot reared off of Route 1 and navigated as best he could the helicopter through uh, the Drexel Hill area of Pennsylvania. He navigated through and missed cars, navigated through and missed buildings and telephone poles and wires and people and buildings and homes and in a small window of space he crash landed safely on top of a church sign right there in front of the church catch, catch where he landed catch where he landed the pilot Daniel Moore, 52 years old, was at the controls of the light neck Eurocopter EC-135 chopper, which crashed approximately at 1 p.m. on January the 11th on top of the sign of the Drexel Hill United Methodist Church, just feet if not inches from the church. They're calling it the miracle in Drexel Hill because the pilot landed them safely in a crash and took down nothing but catch this, a sign. <laughs> Every passenger on board, that the heli on board that helicopter that crashed at the church was able to self-extricate with a non-threatening, life-threatening injury. The infant was rushed to chop. The pilot, however, suffered serious injuries and was unreachable for around several days. 
the, the pallet suffered <laughs> so that his passengers he suffered so that his passengers could be saved here it is here it is everyone who put their trust Sister Johnson, everybody who put their trust in that pilot, every passenger aboard that miracle of the mangled medical helicopter which crashed at the Methodist Church was saved. In our text, in our text this morning, Jesus is in the process of founding, F-O-U-N-D, founding the crash site for every person in the world who would, of their own free will and accord, accept him as pilot, in other words, Lord and Savior of their lives. We see Jesus at the construction site of the church. It is ground zero in our text where Jesus neutralizes all of the fundamental heretical teachings and presuppositions from outside sources, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I'm often wondering why they call them the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but, but Deaconess Stevens, it's because the Pharisees were sad, you see. Here he is, dealing with and neutralizing all of the fundamental heretical teachings and presuppositions from outside sources on who he is. And Jesus gets down to the nitty gritty as to who he is. Yeah. They have called Jesus, or at least attributed his work to the devil in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 through 28. The text says, Then was brought unto Jesus one who was possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and Jesus healed them, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, what Jesus is saying, you're trying to call me Satan. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, Cast out devils. By whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Now, not only, not only were they confused about who Jesus was and was sending out heretical teachings about Jesus and who he was, they attributed Jesus' works to Satan. But they also said that Jesus was a friend of sinners and wine bibbers. Well, watch Matthew chapter 11, verse 18 through 19. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he had the devil. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. End quote. Jesus debunks 
every false preconceived notion about himself and his ministry. And if we look at the context of the text, Jesus indicates to those individuals, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who are all, who are after all, uh, Jesus, who after all Jesus had done, after they had scandalized his name, they had, they had the mitigated God to come to Jesus and ask Jesus for a sign. The text said Jesus responded. Now he had cast out devils. He not only cast out devils, he showed his wisdom. He not only showed his wisdom, but he fed 4,000 people. And they come to Jesus and ask Jesus for a sign. The text says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 4, that Jesus responded this way. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a son, and there shall be no sign given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. Sometimes Jesus will get out of the way of those who have this malfunction in their thinking. Remember now, at the conclusion of the text in Matthew chapter 15, let me give you the context so that I can make my points. In Matthew chapter 15, beginning at verse 13, Jesus feeds the 4,000. Nothing that Jesus could have done could have satisfied the defying, demonstrative arguments of Jesus' haters. And I will pause to tell you, that if Jesus couldn't satisfy church folks <laughs> who were always so critical of him, they always had a short-term memory, always complaining and throwing shade. I, I would say to our leaders this morning, then why are leaders up all night when you've done the best you can in good conscience? The songwriter says, if when you've given the best of your service, right. telling the world the Savior has come, yeah. be not dismayed when men don't believe you. He'll understand and say, well done. Yeah. They looked at Jesus and with mitigating gall to ask him for a sign. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 4, Jesus says, there shall be no sign given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas, and then Jesus departed from them. Jesus says, listen, I want you to be, as he speaks to his disciples, I want you to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want you to watch the false doctrine. I want you to be aware of the false teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I'm afraid that if we pay attention to the Pharisees and the Sadducees of this culture who cause for us to act out on our feelings, cause for us to live our life the way we want to and not the way God had created and designed us to. If we would live, listen to the Pharisees and the Sadducees of this culture who tells us to concern ourselves with our emotions and what we want and don't hold ourselves to the manifestos and the true teachings of the Christ, then there will be crash landings everywhere. But oh, I'm glad that Jesus 
is the kind of power. He's the kind of pilot that can handle every crash landing. I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad this morning that Jesus, no matter, no matter how you crash landed at the church, I'm glad that, that if you call on Jesus, he's the kind of pilot that can handle your crash landing. I want to caution you. That if you are crashing without a good power, your faith is in your hands. But when Jesus is your power, you can survive the crash. Because the crash site is the church. And the church has a solid foundation. Because Jesus is the foundation. The text says, the text says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, came there and he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, is? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, here it is, and upon this rock I will build my church. to remind the people who had the memory of the pan God 
the pen shepherd God, that Jesus is the ultimate shepherd God. Jesus takes his disciples there because his disciples are well aware of David who penned the 23rd Psalm, ending with, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He takes them there because they know the opening of the 23rd Psalm, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. They shall make, uh, make it lie down in green pastures. Jesus brings them strategically to a place where it was incredibly crowded, worshiping a small shepherd God to say that the ultimate shepherd has come on the scene. But Jesus says, I've come on the scene not only to announce that I am the true shepherd, but I've come on the scene to announce that not only am I the shepherd, but I'm the shepherd of the church. Jesus invites us to Caesarea Philippi. He invites us into places where it was once worshipped by us, our pride, our arrogance, the, the joy of our flesh. Whatever we struggle with, Jesus meets us at that place where the secular society of culture has shepherded us and stepped on the scene saying, no longer do the world, does the world have to shepherd you. I want you to walk away from the shepherding God of pain and walk up to the good shepherd. The shepherd called Jesus Christ. Watch, watch Jesus as he invites us into Caesarea Philippi. He raises the thundering question, who do men say that I am? And I would argue that if you want to have a crash site, you, that crash site just ought to have a solid foundation. If you're going to have a crash site, that crash site better be built up so that when you land, you do not destabilize the fundamental foundations of the place where Jesus created the church. And Jesus says, I am creating the church in my name and for me. Watch, 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 watch what Jesus is in essence saying. That we need the church because we are not free from the flaw of the finite and the feeble. We need the safety of the helicopter to land us safely even in a crash. Landing is the safest when the crash site is the church. Yes, yes. And if you would use your imagination with me, I would imagine that on, uh, on January the 11th, when the pilot crash landed into the sun, I think Jesus and the God, our God, was disrupting this notion that the world needs to have a sign. Jesus tore down the sign by the helicopter, but never tore down the foundation. And I don't know this morning what caused you to crash land at the church. I, I don't know whether or not. I don't know whether or not it was drugs. I don't know whether or not it was alcohol. I don't know whether or not it was fornication. I don't know whether or not it was arrogance. I don't know whether or not it was even stupidity. But whatever caused you to crash, thank God if you call on the pilot Jesus, Jesus has the power to land you safely at the Christ crash site, which is the church. No, notice, notice, notice. He disrupts the signs. There are no signs given. He disrupts the signs in this wicked and adulterous generation that is looking for a sign. Jesus said, you don't need any sign. All you need to know is if you crash at the church, I can save you. All you need to know, if, if, your, if your aircraft goes down at the church, 
and you call on my name, I, I can save you, I can beat you, I can deliver you. I will make sure that I save your life. A couple of things I noticed, a couple of things that I noticed at this crash site. I, I noticed, I noticed at this crash site in Caesarea Philippi, this crash site, I noticed the call at the crash site. Then there's the call at the crash site. Jesus gets to the crash site. He lays the foundation. I might as well go ahead and tell you that, that I said it earlier, that Jesus is the only founder of the church. There is no other founder but Jesus Christ. He's the founder of the church. Everybody else is the planter of the church. The founder indicates that you created it. The planter indicates that you took what was created, watered it, and allowed it to grow, nurtured it, fertilized it, and enabled it to grow. Jesus is the founder of the church. And since he's the founder, that foundation can handle any crash that comes its way. That's why I love the illustration that God gave us on January the 11th because this world is crashing and the best place to crash is at the church. Here, here's the call. Here's the call. My first point and I'm done. I got two more and I'm done. Here's the call. Jesus pulls us to the church to raise the question, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Everybody who is aboard your own aircraft, your helicopter, whatever it is, whatever it is, you are in control. But I, I would argue with you that you ought to turn it over to another pilot. Yes, God has given you free will, but you ought to turn your aircraft over to Jesus Christ so that when you crash, you can crash safely. He raises the question, whom do men say that I am? And all I would tell you this morning is if you're crashing at the church, if Life isn't going the way you want it to go. If you've been making mistakes, if you've been drowning in the cesspool of your own deeds, if Satan has been attacking you, you ought to turn the plane over to Jesus and answer the question, who do men say that he is? Yeah. Peter answered it the way we ought to answer it. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos. That word uh, Christos uh, is is a word, a derivative from the Hebrew word Meshua, which means Messiah. It means the anointed one. That we ought to turn our life over to the anointed one. And I would argue today that if we would turn our lives over to the anointed one, that we don't have to worry about anything we've done in our past because Christ can give us a safe landing even when we messed up in our own lives. And I wish I had two or three people that would be honest and say that I've been torn from the floor. I've done things I'm not proud of. I've said some things I'm not proud of. I've been some places that I shouldn't have been. But when I called on Jesus, right when I was about to lose my life, he saved me at the crash site. Saved me all of the wreckage when I was calling Mayday, Mayday, I'm going down. I don't know which way to turn. Just turn to Jesus. Not only, not only is he the Messiah, the, the anointed one, but he is the son of the living God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I had to think about that for just a moment. When I look at myself in the mirror, and I hear people tell me, you know, 
you look like your father, you act like your father, you have the characteristics of your father. If Jesus is the son of the living God, that means that Jesus looks like the father. He acts like the father. He has the characteristics of the father. But not only does he have the characteristics of the father, Jesus has the attributes of the father. And it's good to know that when your plane or your aircraft or your helicopter is going down, that you've got a God or born named Jesus Christ that has the attributes of his father. He Omnisapien, he's all wise. He can take your mess ups and your hate ups and work them all out for your good. He's omnipotent, he's all powerful. He has the power to get you to land safely, even when you was about to destroy the whole thing. He, he is everywhere at the same time. That, that, that's, that's the call. The call when you're riding in your aircraft and your plane is going down, you ought to recognize who Jesus is so that you can crash second safety. Secondly, secondly, the crash. Crash. The crash. I I don't know. I said it earlier. I, I don't know what caused your aircraft to crash. I, I don't want to know. I, I don't know what you struggle with late at night. I, I don't know what challenges you have in your secret closet. I don't know the skeleton suits that hang that are hung up in your own closet. The only thing I know about is what's in my closet. But what, what I can do, what I can tell you is whatever it is, Jesus' blood is strong enough to cover any sins. Jesus' blood at the crash site is strong enough to get you safely from life to death and then death back to life. Jesus' blood is strong enough to give you salvation even when you are crashing. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what caused you to get here, but, but nothing but the blood can wash away your sins. Nothing but the blood can make you whole again. Nothing but the blood is precious. Crash. But, but finally, finally, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I said I wasn't going to be long. I tried to truncate this, this, this message this morning. I got so much on my mind, but, but, but I just want to hit the last point. I just want to pull out this last point. The covenant. The covenant. That if you want to fly with the power, you just ought to fly with a pilot that is ready and willing to make a covenant with you. You you do know what a covenant is. A covenant is a mutual agreement between two contracting parties. And thank God that when God gives a covenant, God uses a strategic plan because he understands the finiteness of human of the human nature and his infiniteness, his inability to make a mistake, and our ability to make mistakes. And even when he was with Abraham, God set up animals, cut them in half, severed them in two, placed them on opposite sides of each other. And instead of asking Abraham to walk through the, those animals, God Almighty himself walked through those animals by himself. And you know what it means when he walked through those animals? It meant that let what happened to these animals that were cut and torn in half happen to me if I fail to hold up my part of the covenant. Thanks be unto God that God has took on that role and has prevented us from walking between those animals to make a covenant with us. He has given us the ability to just give him our word so that when we break his covenant, we don't have to die. He offered up his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. He walked.
walked through that covenant because he knew that someday he would wrap himself in human flesh, come down for 42 generations in the person of Jesus Christ, and die on a cruel cross for sins he didn't commit, adulteries he never did, all of the things that we've done, God stepped in for us by himself. It's, it's a covenant. And here's the covenant. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Isn't it good to know that even if you are in midair, about to crash, that if you have a power whose name is Jesus Christ, even if you're about to fall, the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. Well, well, how do you know? How do you know? I, I'm done. This, this is how I know. Because on one Friday, on a hill called Calvary, Jesus went up in his aircraft called the Cruel Rugged Cross. He went up there on our behalf. He died there. They placed him in a bar or two. He stayed there all night Friday. Saturday, he took the keys and opened up the doors of Hades. Took the sting out of death. And then early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. And then he said, if I be lifted up from this earth, I'll draw all men unto me. Jesus said, God said, I've got an aircraft for you. I've got an aircraft for you that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe it shall make Christ your power shall not perish but have everlasting life. And since over 2,000 years ago, People all over the world have been crying out, Mayday, Mayday, I'm going down. Lord, save me. And I'm so glad that Peter gives us the ultimate illustration when he was about to drown. He did it like all of us did. Put one foot in the boat, the other foot on the water. When he stepped on the water, he looked away from Jesus Christ and began to drown. And Peter cried out, Lord, save me. And if your helicopter is going down, if your helicopter is spinning out of control. Just say what Peter says. Lord, save me. And I'm glad Jesus will jump in your aircraft, beat your power, give you a safe crash landing. And I'm glad that some glad morning, when this life is over, just when Satan thinks that we're about to go down and stay down, God steps in. And when he steps in, we'll have everlasting life. So I've seen the lightning flash. I heard the thunder roll. I felt some breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. But I heard the voice of Jesus telling me, still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. I don't know how you come in here, but I'm coming here with a heavy heart. My, my helicopter was about to crash on last Saturday night when I got the words that my mama had put on to be recorded. Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
So don't worry about it. You might be calling Mayday, Mayday, but if you call on the Lord, He'll step in your aircraft. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're crashing because of sickness. I, I don't know. Maybe you're crashing because of loneliness. I, I don't know. Maybe you're crashing because of depression. I, I don't know. Maybe you're crashing because of anxiety or arrogance. I, I don't know why you're crashing. But all I know is if you got the right pilot on board, he's the same kind of pilot as the pilot board because he'll go down and suffer injuries. And a couple of days later, he'll show back up with all power in his hands as we stand on our feet at our own personal crash sites with the testimony that when I crash, Jesus saved me. The doors of the church are open. You can come as a candidate for baptism. You can come in your own Christian experience. But you can come your own, you can come as a candidate for baptism. But the most important thing is that you come. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there.
stand for the benediction. And don't forget to uh, meet us every night at 7 o'clock on the conference line. Every night this week, and Bible study will be on Tuesday. And then uh, don't forget to meet us at the crash site on next Sunday, right here at the church. Amen. Now go in peace and serve the Lord. Render unto no man evil for evil. Do good unto all men, especially unto those who are of the household of the faithful. As much as live abideth within you, live peaceably with all men. The grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit, keep your hearts and minds in perfect peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. The people of God say, Let the church